All right. How are you getting on? Or should I say all right? The Honourable Judge Cantwell is in session. And look, I'm not one of those uh, wig wearing, not that there's nothing wrong with that, if it's gay. But if you're straight and you're wearing the wig and because you're like a, a Tory or something, I don't know how it works, then I'm not cool with that. Right? And your robes. I am in session. And actually, I would love a judge procession when I'm brought in as a judge. I would like one of those thrones that has the big four sticks sticking out of it and people carry it. And instead of a bunch of lubed up men, I wouldn't mind a couple of lubed up women carrying me in. Big women. You know? Strong ones. Twice the size of a normal man. Right? Look, we're, well, we're making shit up. That's what I want. <laughs> no, look. I'm a cool judge. I actually am a cool judge. I'm drinking a beer right now and I have my top off. So that's the sort of cool shit that I'm into. <laughs> all night dinner. All night dinner. Oh, every night dinner. And that would play. And you would have a bunch of Morris dancers come out uh, wearing a tricolor. And they'd be throwing petals in the air. That's kind of my vibe. I don't know what Morris dancers do. I don't even know what happens in a courtroom. As I told you, I only went to court once. And the judge essentially said, boys will be boys. And that's what he said. Um, I was I was sure to speak very clear. Yes, judge. Yes, judge. I'm not giving you any grief, judge. I can't believe this has happened to me. This is an accident, I said. You know, I enunciated. Um, I was in court once because, get this, right? I've talked about this before, right? Uh, I was getting, I bought a child's ticket to go to this is what turned this is what actually got me scamming this they say that you know the legal system actually creates criminals as it did with me right i was get, i was going getting my fucking two transport commute to iadt from rahini i never should have went to iadt with a great respect but it was you know for me i couldn't even walk to school on time and i lived 15 minutes from school for me to travel an hour and a half on two modes of transport Oh, my God, was it a mistake for, to do that for four years. Um, with the greatest respect to all the best friends I made for life there. Um, but I was getting one of my modes of transport, the fucking 46A. Not even, it's not even a cesspit. It's just annoying. All the if, Look, if you have a bus and it's your bus, it's annoying. Because guess what? It's Dublin bus, right? With the greatest respect. With no respect. No respect at all. That's why we need to privatize, baby. Privatize. Just have one other person who has a little minivan. Who is getting, you know, who is doing it. And then they'd be like, oh shit, you're mad at the minivan. Maybe we should actually, you know, arrive on time. And look, I'm not having to go overall. Whatever, it's our job. And a thankless job. Um, And I'm not having to go. Whatever, look, anyway, moving on. I was on the bus and I had uh, a student card, right? But I didn't have my student ID with me. But I had a student card that you pay 30 quid for. You have a month of transport. Because you're a student. Because I am a student. Now, I didn't have my student card to back this up. So someone got on the bus and took my student card away from me, right? Some lad, fucking going home. He probably, he probably was so, he probably had the biggest erection taking my student card off me. He took my student card, he's like, where's your student ID? Here's your bus ticket, your student bus ticket, where's your ID? And I said, I don't have it with me. He goes, okay, grand. And he was very chill about it, took the card off me. And then he gave me a, and he gave me a little thing, took my details. He's like, well, you're going to be fined. And then he left. And then like, so not only now is he fining me 50 quid, I'm a student, right? But he's also going to, I now have to buy another student card, right? Or not another student card and then I have to pay for all the, you know, the fucking child, a child, right? Um, and anyway, so I got fined. 
<laughs> uh, I'm not answering. I'm not answering that shit. Guess what? You, I guess you didn't realize that you actually took the details off an ostrich. Because my head is under the ground now. I live with my mammy. I'm not allowed to get in trouble. So if you can find me all you want, but guess what? I live with my mam. And as I said before, I'm not allowed to get wet. We're taking our confo pictures later on. I'm not allowed to get wet. You're not allowed to get me wet. I'm taking out my confo pictures later on. I'm no, I'm not allowed to get wet, and I'm not allowed to get in trouble, right? So I didn't answer it. I didn't answer the, the messages of a fine. And then I got a court summons, and I didn't answer that, right? And then I was, yeah. Then I was, then I was proper. Then they were probably took me to court about it, right? That's what happened. That's what happened. And then I had to go to court, right? And I tell you what, it was actually one of the loveliest days I've ever had, right? It was actually one of the loveliest days I ever had. My ma took a day off work. Now, it was hard for her. She had to take the day off work to bring me, you know. So that was, that was a bit bad for me. I realized that now as an adult. She worked in Arnott's now. She couldn't go to Arnott's because she had to bring her son to court. Either way, we went to the four courts. Um, we're in Smithfield. This is before Smithfield was all done up. Went in there. Um, uh, judge brought your man, the little bus conductor, on. He was like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, I took a student card. He didn't have the other student ID. Judge was like, what? So he had the student card, but he didn't have the student ID. And he's like, yeah, have you ever, and he said, just said to me, have you ever done anything like this before? I was like, no, judge, I've never done anything like this before. Can you hear me enunciating in my perfect English? And he goes, right, uh, well, whatever, forget it. No fine, no nothing, don't, no, don't do it again, essentially. Me and my mum went then for, to a cafe and I had my very first panini. It was brilliant. It was a wonderful day. I had my very first panini. Paninis should be everywhere. It's a better form of sandwich. Come at me, bro. Right? You see these lads on TikTok saying, I'm going to make the ultimate steak sourdough baguette. Right? And you see it, and it just looks uncomfortable to eat. Right? Something about sandwich shop sandwiches or a sub in a sandwich, or it just is always better. If you're making a roll at home, unless it's like a little simple, skinny cuisine de France baguette, if you're getting a big sourdough roll, that's too much bread. It's hurting your jaw eating that with all your trimmings in it. Right? It doesn't look good. You've not made that look good. You're drizzling all the glick, 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 olive oil and all that. You're sprinkling bits of pickle sauce and all that shit on it. it doesn't look. It looks good until you put the other t- loaf of bread on top, and you're like, "That's too much bread." So anyway, m- the panini was lovely, and my me and my mum laughed. We did. My mother and I laughed in the face of justice, um, and we were of course very grateful. I was very grateful the fact that I'd not been involved in any other prior crimes. I'm not having a go at anyone who would have had a crime or wouldn't have enunciated. You know. But I knew a time to be a fucking lick, and that was it. Right? Roll over my belly. Here, Judge, here's my pink belly. I haven't done anything like this before. I was just so confused. So then, what that created then in me was a fuck. Well, I'm, I'm like the John McClane of skipping Lewis fairs. Well, I was. Until I got done. I told you that I got done on the Lewis. Well, not done. They tried to do me. Right? Twice before I've got caught for skipping Lewis. And I've only done it maybe four times, right? So I've got a pretty bad success rate at getting away with it. 50%, you might say. But I also got 50% conversion rate on crime. <laughs> anyway, the other time I did it, I just gave the first name that came to mind. It was my bro, or my, my, my good friend Joe's little brother's name. I gave his name and I gave his exact address, right? I don't know what I was thinking. I was panicked, right? And then the other time, of course, was when I was wearing the suit and I bought the child's fare and I had to wear a suit for college that day. But I bought a child's fare anyway. And then the guy in the Lewis was all like, what age are you? And I said 13. And he was so confused. He let me away with it. You're 13. What? 
and his friend was like, there's something wrong with him. He shook his head, there's something wrong with him, you know. Or just whatever. Not wrong with him, but like he's not, you know, he, yeah, he is 13. Leave it, you know what I mean? Um, And then, so actually, no, I've, out of the four times I've done it, I probably can call it three times, right? 75% uh, failure to commit a crime. 25% conversion on crime. Anyway, then the other time was the more recent time where I was just moving up. I went up to Beachwood, just go to one of the cafes there to write for the day. And I was only going up a couple of stops because I'm a couple of stops away from Beachwood. And then, you know, there was a sea of high vis trying to stop me. And I'd already gotten off. Thing I see, the thing I'd already gotten off. They didn't catch me on the Lewis. I'd already gotten off. And he's like, "Can I see your ticket there?" And I was like, "No, no, 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 no." And they tried to block me, and I just walked away. I walked around them, and they're like, "Can I see your ticket?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, you can't." And like, "Stop, stop where you're going." And I'm like, "No, I'm not going to stop. I'm not. I think you know, real shy." I don't think I need to stop. Sorry, I'm actually being a badass, but like I'm being a, in a kind of like dweeby kind of way. Sorry, I actually don't think I need to stop. Um, and I just kept walking. And then that your man followed me up the road and kept shouting, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this?" Anyway, look. So look, I um I've turned that life. I've turned my back on the life of crime, and I've decided to help people who have been crimed, been wronged. This is how most judges become judges. <laughs> they are former criminals. I feel like you have to have a, understand a full spectrum of crime before you can become a judge, you know? In the same way, look, in the same way you need to know how to fucking play the guitar before you become a politician, as far as I'm concerned, right? Yeah, it's called, yeah, it's actually called the school of crack. Maybe you should, maybe you should enroll, I said, you know, to the politicians. I, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm having a beer during the day. It's probably not, that's probably what it is. Anyway, look, I am Judge Tony and sex executioner on this episode of the Tony Cantwell shit show where I am. Judge Cantwell, bit of a long-winded one there. And stick around to the end because I'm going to be giving you my two cents on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show at the end, right? So if you don't like that, you don't have to keep listening. But anyway, here we go, the Tony Cantwell shit show. So as you know, this is Judge Cantwell, where I am Judge Tony and Sex Executioner. I will be doling out justice for all of my um, followers who submitted a time when they were wronged. Is there a time when you were wronged? Were you in an accident that wasn't your fault? I used to get those calls all the time from robots. Were you in an accident that it wasn't your fault? Um, yes. How did you know, Roboman? Hey, look, if there's a robocop, maybe there's a robo lawyer, you know, whatever, moving on. Uh, okay, so look, first one here. Um, Adam Daly, who is a patron of mine. Um, where, and you can become a patron over on patreon.com forward slash Tony Cantwell, where over 100 episodes of a podcast you would love that you haven't listened to currently live that you would really enjoy. Anyway, he says, hello, Judge Cantwell. A few months back, I had to fly home from London for my granddad's funeral. I'm so sorry to hear about the passing of your grandpappy, uh, Mr. Daly. I booked flights for my girlfriend and I the morning of, so they were a bit expensive. Ooh. Um, look, fair. Look, you did, there's not much notice for these sort of things. Look, these things happen. Now, my old man told me not to worry about the cost. He would take care of it. And a few days later, at the funeral, my dad tells me I actually owe him for the car insurance, which I don't drive because I live in London now. 
that seems like a detail now that you sh- that you really wanted to say to your dad that you've now said to me. Uh, I actually don't live. I actually don't even drive. I live in London now. Um, and he, sorry, and his dad said that that actually cancels out the money for the flights. So now I'm left a couple of hundred quid down. Have I been wronged, Adam, my beloved patron? Yes, you have been wronged. Um, that is so unfortunate. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It is 100% your owlad's fault. Um, and let me explain. It is your owlad's fault because he should have raised a better son. <laughs> no, no, I'm only messing. But no, I'm serious, Adam. He should have raised a rich son. If he couldn't raise a rich son or uh, you know a more productivity-focused son that could text him in advance to know exactly when the, the, the car insurance was going to come out, to be like, hey, Dad, just let you know that it's going to renew next year. I'm not on the car insurance anymore. Again, again, this is not... You know, this is not something you need to feel bad about, Adam, that you're not rich and that you I wouldn't have the gumption to text my dad to say, hey, take me off the car insurance. But he should have raised that in you. That's the sort of person you should be. Anytime you make a mistake, just visualize a multiverse where that person, another version of you did not make that mistake. And that's the person your dad should have have raised. Okay, look, it's not it's not pretty, but. Look, this is if it's going to make you feel any better, and do not beat yourself up about this. It's totally your dad's fault. Your dad now has to buy you a lovely Ryanair voucher uh, for you and your partner for anywhere you want to go. And uh, he also has to now pay for another year uh, additional to the car insurance, even whether you drive or not, just in case you might want to fucking nip out to Super Value, whatever like that when you're back. Uh, he should have to pay that for the year. So, um, Adam, you are totally in the clear. I totally side with you. Your dad has been wrong, and that has been my verdict. Okay, moving on. My beloved patron and friend, Paul McGann, uh, brother to uh, viral superstar Peter McGann, has written in. Tony, I need some justice. When I was about 15, my older brother Pete was having pre-drinks downstairs one Saturday night. I had a very important match the following day and I really needed my sleep. After reassurance that the lads would all be on the bus to Sally's in Arklo by 11. Sally's, is this the place that Peter used to go in a suit? And everyone would call him the suit? And he would sit there drinking... Uh, oh, I thought that was on a live podcast. If you meet Pete, ask him to tell you about the suit. Uh, he used to drink like martinis, like James Bond, at like young fucking like discos, <laughs> wearing a suit. Anyway, so anyway, they were going to Sally's. I took myself up into bed to make sure I was rested for the big game. At approx, so they were meant to be out by eleven. At approximately eleven thirty, I was rudely awakened by my brother banging on the door, shouting, "Paul, Paul, get up! It's time for school." I was enraged, writes Paul. Luckily for Pete, his future wife was downstairs and pulled him away from the door to safety. I jumped out of bed, ran downstairs and roared at everyone to get out. I was also with me jocks and was a young boy. So this didn't have the desired effect initially. But after a while, everyone left in hysterics at the young lad who clearly had anger management issues. The next day at the match, things were going well and although tired, the previous night's events had been put to one side. About an hour into the match, a familiar face appears on the sideline, Pete's face, and the match was forgotten. I saw red and I got sent off. <laughs> oh, I'm just picturing I'm just picturing him viewing like all the other lads with Peter McGann's big, <laughs> big grinning psycho face and him just bashing them all. Um, the, the rest of the teammates were very disappointed and mad at me as well as the scolding from my parents etc but I want to know what you a judge make of it all was I in the right or do I deserve the running joke that I get every time I walk into a room with those same lads who then say shh <laughs> also it probably cost us the match Paul Paul look I have to say this you're a beloved patron of my podcast I appreciate it you're, as you know I'm very good pals with your brother 
I will always find in favour of the banter, bruv, mate. Oh, it's time for school. What a bit. Future Hall of Famer, future IFTA award winner, Peter McGann. Always on the clock. What a guy, even as a young fella. How funny that is to, to hear. Um, but what I have to say is a deal is a deal. Right, his deal was he was meant to be in Sally's on the last bus by 11 o'clock. Um, you, you know, he didn't go as agreed. He cost you the game. Nay, your reputation. And for that, he has to night feed your baby for a month. If he wants to have, hey, if he wants to know what it's like to have his sleep disturbed, well, guess what? He needs to wear one of those little fake teats. I don't know if your kid's bottle feeding or not or breastfeeding. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. But he has to feed it, the do- the gorgeous baby of yours, with a teat. Okay? Every night. <laughs> for for a year, actually. The judge has spoken. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for writing that in. And Pete, what a fucking legend, bruv. All right, here's a bit of a long one. All right. And this person wants their name stricken from the records. All right, essentially this young flip, right? I'm going to, because it's a long bit here. He says he was seeing this girl... And he received a bit of grief because this girl uh, was a bit out of his league, essentially. But she seemed to really like him. They were texting a bit. And then they ended up going to a gaff. And they hit it off after he got knocked. He KO'd in a couch after too many sticks of hiney, he says here. Uh, and, a, and a nagging, right? And she was looking after him. Following the party, they went back to a mate's. Following the party. Jesus Christ. That would put me out of commission for nine years. Um, You went back, right? And he hit it off. And he... And he oh... This chap, he earned his L plate. He went downstairs, earned his L plate with this lovely girl. She seemed to love it, which is the most important thing. Which is the most important thing, son, right? It's not about you looking clean and tidy after. If she enjoyed it, that's the most important thing. Anyway, his mates rinsed him over this because he didn't get anything in return. He didn't get anything in return. He got everything in return. She gave him everything. He met Peter, not Peter McGann, St. Peter at the gates of heaven. And he beckoned him in for however long it went on. This is what's toxic, toxic boys. Toxic. It's everything. Anyway, moving on. Um, anyway, they rinsed him because he didn't get a blowy. And then he essentially shit the bed a little bit. He didn't really get in touch with her. Uh, was then talking about who he's going to invite to the Debs. He texted her. She said that his mate, maybe even one of the mates who was rinsing him over him not getting the blowy, had actually asked her and she was going with him. And it crushed him. Poor lad. And upon asking his mate why he'd snaked him like that, he went full defensive on him and made him feel bad that he had no other option. Didn't even apologize or anything like that. So he's basically asking, is there any remittance or compensation, bro code, etc., owed to him by the mate who snaked him? Mr. X, my, my verdict is thusly. I wish we were all better men. Hey, I wish we were all better guys. I wish men could congratulate each other on earning our L plates, becoming a master, right? Instead of asking what we got. Instead of asking what did you get, how about what you gave? My whole fucking heart and soul on that couch with that bird after being fucking piss up drunk. I gave my, I gave everything. I got uh, 38 out of 40 on the provisional exam. That's how well I did in my, in my getting my L plate, right? Maybe even 40 out of 40. I got the app, learned everything, right? And of course, you look, you did shit the bed a little bit, right? By not getting in touch. You're shy, right? Um, this was a girl who held a, p- a special place in your heart. And if we spoke more about our feelings, your friends might have understood that. And they might not have done what they did if we were better men. And if they knew that, 
they would have to say to you, look, Mr. X, I like the girl too. And I'm not asking you for permission here because this lady is no man's property. But I am sorry to say that I, I, am, I do have feelings for her and I'd like to ask her to the Debs. And I think it's up to her who she wants to go with. But I am going to ask her. All right. Or I didn't realize how important she was to you. You told me that. You told me how your amazing provisional exam went. Uh, I am not going to ask, you know, if we were better men, but we're not. So I'm sorry to say that what was was probably meant to be. These things happen. This lady, again, was no man's property. Um, I mean, you do not need to curse the days when you shit the bed. By the sounds of things, you've moved on. You're in another relationship now. I would put this to bed. I would put this to bed and move on. And, and think now that if you ever have an idea, act on it, even if you think it's not going to go exactly how you'd like it to go. Or if you're unsure, just go for it anyway, you know? So I find in favor of your friend, but I commend you on being so generous with your love. But I do find in favor of your mate, and as punishment, you must perform cunnilingus on him at a time of his convenience. Um, that's ball play for boys. Uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, TJ says, Hi, Tony. I have an incredible, dif- incredibly difficult story that left me scarred for many years. I've been the subject to terrible violence by my younger brother. Years ago, when I was only three, my mother was holding me in her arms above my younger brother, who was one at the time. The story goes that she wasn't paying attention, and during this time, my brother snuck up on all fours and, using his baby teeth, bit me right on the bollocks. Ay! Ay, 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 ay! This was, quote-unquote, apparently uh, a big hullabaloo. And when my mother called my father to tell him the news, he was actually unable to answer her due to sheer sympathy pain. Also, I don't ask why I was bollock naked on my mother's lap at three or how my balls were in some way accessible to his mouth. Years later, when I was seven, the same younger brother did something arguably worse. While I was asleep, asleep on my bed he snuck up on me like solid snake holding a plastic straw and then proceeded to insert the straw into my ear and blew as hard as he could jesus christ this boy obviously this was incredibly painful and led to a burst eardrum and he has never answered for it since please judge cantwell serve my brother the sentence he deserves and deliver him the punishment that he has escaped for so many years okay listen TJ, I'm sure it's it was very hard um, on your parents raising a fucking feral boy that they found in the woods. What the fuck is wrong with your younger brother? Jesus Christ, where did they find him? At a wolves-only screening of Todd Phillips's The Joker? <laughs> where did they find this kid? That's insane. Right, here's the verdict, right? He burst your eardrum. Guess what? You burst every balloon he ever has for the rest of his life, right? That might not seem like a big deal, but he's going to have a lot of balloons and it's going to have the same sort of like, oh, and then he has to deal with it, right? So if it's, I don't know how old he is, but if he's not 21 yet, 21st, pop, helium in the room, 30th, 40th, 50th, 60th, etc. Even the way all the way up to his fucking deathbed uh, balloon wreath that they give him just before he dies, but burst Every balloon this prick ever has for the rest of his life, right? Trust me, it will add up and he can't do anything about it. However, you told me not to ask about why your bollocks were dangling over your little brother's mouth and why your ma had your bollock naked in her arms. I'm not going into, I'm not asking why, right? But the real fault does lie with your mother, okay? If you're dog sitting and you already have a Bichon Frise, right? You don't bring in a fucking little staffy, right? And leave them out on the balcony, right? 
That's a story I told. The poor Bijan Fries got fucking... I don't want to get into the details of this story that I heard. But look, that's mismanagement by the dog owner. In this case, the child owner. That's not on the Bijan for being fucking, you know, torn to shreds, the story went. I, told, I was told. Awful story. So look, while um, you're also bursting your brother's balloons, because he deserves punishment, also slash your ma's tires as well. Slash your fucking tires. Slash every tire she has. Even the one in the boot. All right? Best luck, TJ. Right, moving on. Shauna writes, Judge Cantwell, right, Honourable Judge Cantwell, she says, thank you very much. Uh, I hope, uh, I write in the hopes of receiving your expert arbitration skills for what is an ongoing war of attrition with my household, within my household. The accused, my boyfriend, has a great beard. It's thick, salt and peppered, nicely groomed. I'm a huge beard nut, be terrifying if I was. Nice callback to my bit. Be terrifying if you were. And I tend to encourage the presence of said beard. However, the grooming of his luscious facial forestry is threatening to tear the couple apart. My boyfriend seems incapable, nigh unwilling, to properly clean up the bathroom sink post-beard maintenance. There is an attempt made, a cursory wipe of a cloth or a piece of toilet paper, but it is not enough. The bathroom is coated with a fine layer of beard dust covering toiletries, face cloths and hand towels and manny's the time I've washed my face to a pseudo beard now installed after using the said face cloths. It, is this the price I must pay for having a beard in my life, Judge Cantwell? Can you advise on how you, an owner of a nice beard, thank you very much, flattery will get you everywhere, darling, uh, must be, uh, it must be said, navigate this, or should a penalty be installed for each occasion where adequate cleaning is not provided? I have to say, Sean, excellent prose, you should be a writer. And secondly, listen, I am, this is my verdict, okay? Okay, from what I've heard. As a beard owner, who was similarly have been in the past sloppy i'll give you some tips now in a second at cleaning up the beard hair right um and also i kind of feel a bit shackled to my beard because my wife likes it i would love to have a big porn star tash all the time ideally to be perfectly honest but my wife wants uh once she likes my face like she likes my ass hairy cheeks she'd probably like me to shave my ass anyway moving on i would sit him down and i would say honey you know i love you you know you're my baby right but you are so fucking lucky, bro, that you were born in this era, right? An era where somehow we value lads looking like hobos. And that's like a style choice, you having a big fucking beard. If this was the 1950s, bro, you'd be up at 5 o'clock in the morning shaving that shit off with a dull razor to cost a fortune, getting open scars in your mouth and then dousing poisonous alcohol every single morning, right? You don't have to do that because you were born in this era where birds love it, right? Where, where she's still expected to pay for fucking half of an Eddie Rockets, right? So fucking clean up the fucking beard. Do you know what I mean? Put a tea towel over the sink. Get one of those little beard bars that are like they're squeegees for the sink. You see them on TikTok all the time, right? So listen, get with the program. I find in favor of Shauna, right? You have to buy a beard bar or throw a, a towel over the sink. Um, But also, Shauna, chill out, love, right? Chill out. <laughs> nah, no, no, I'm only messing. I'm only messing. You can't say that anymore. Chill out, right? Sometimes that's good advice. Not at any time I've seemed to have been able to use it. Chill out, will you? <laughs> that's some bad, bad. I'd never tell anyone. Anyway, moving on. Niall O'Grady writes, uh, You're honourable, Judge Cantwell. Thank you very much. I am honourable. My cousin Gavan, not Gavin, Gavan as it's spelled here. My cousin Gavan and I, spent summer together in Connemara with our families. And even though we're thick as thieves now, this was not always the case. Again, wonderful prose, Niall, I'm intrigued. When we were 15, 
we brought our mothers to tears, sleeping in single beds across from each other in the attic room in Ballycanely in Connemara. My cousin Gavan would crack his entire body bone by bone in bed each night. It never sat right with me, and it irked me in a way other, a few other things would. One night I asked him to stop doing it, as it made me feel terrible. Oh, oh! He continued doing it, finding my anguish amusing. I told him. Mm, I told him that if he cracked one more bone, I'd go over and punch the head off him. You can see where this is going. Not longer than one second after I heard the final crack, we were up out of our beds in a chase. He ran into his mother's room, and I swung the only punch I've ever thrown, connecting with the side of his head in his ma's room. Jesus Christ. The fallout from the attack caused our mother's terrible heartbreak and the trip was nearly cancelled the year after. I live with them now and we regularly debate who was in the wrong. If you could preside over this case, we would be grateful to know the answer once and for all. Okay, look. Um, Niall, was it? And Gavan? Um, look, there seems to be a very common misunderstanding of the law where people feel, feel like their, uh, their actions are justified uh, they're justified to carry out their crimes because they give full warning that they're going to carry them out. Do you know what I mean? You know, you're lucky you exist now, at the time we are now, Niall, in 2022 in Dublin, and not 2054 in Washington, D.C., where the Department of Pre-Crime exists, uh, fully operated by Tom Cruise in the film Minority Report, right? You saying you're going to do something if someone does something is a threat. That is a threat. That is, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm, I'm threatening you, right? So if they do something, that is, it's not like, oh, well, you knew the deal, right? If you say something like, if you do that again, I'm going to thump you. What you're essentially saying is, yeah, crack, crack your fingers again, unless you're a coward. That's, that's how that would be felt with me. If someone said that to me, like, if you do that again, I'm going to hit you. I'm like, well, if I don't do it, I am now agreeing to some deal that I'm not involved in, right? So I'm going to actually ignore your deal. And if you're going to then react, you you do however you want to, you know, you act how you ever want to do. I do have to say, though, sparking out a man in front of his own mother in her bedroom is some wild shit. That is insane. That's crazy. That's actually pretty badass. It's actually the most badass thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, but I've always, it's always irked me, right? People saying, you do that again, I'm going to fucking kick you in the arse. Oh, look, I warned you. Fuck off, right? That's a threat, an idle threat, right? You were in the wrong, so now what you have to do is you have to go to a chiropractor and you have to let Gavan watch as you get cracked by another man, right? She smiled me on the subway. She was with another man. You have to be cracked by another man, okay? So justice has been served. All right, Kieran Ward writes, hope you're keeping well, man. So I threw this out to my siblings and they brought up a disturbing memory that I seem to have blocked away in the back of my mind for a very long time. When myself 11, sister 12, and brother 14 were on holidays in Spain, my mom used to make my brother and I wear swimming togs to the beach and pool. I remember feeling like a weirdo trying to make friends with English and Scottish kids while they got to play in swimming trunks, which were so much cooler. So I'm assuming togs, you mean like little pants, right? And then trunks would be more... Trunks? Togs? Hang on. Tr swimming trunks. Yeah, trunks are shorts. Togs are also popping up here on Google as shorts, but I'm assuming you mean little pants, right? Um, when we got home, we weren't allowed to wear runners or trousers, and it had to be sandals and shorts to show off the exotic tan we got from holidaying abroad. 
and I still remember all the cuts and bruises on my toes from playing heads and volleys with sandals on. Um, was it unfair of my mother to use us as some sort of status symbol with the neighbours? It was pure shite. Thanks for listening. Yeah, look, I don't... I, when you're at that weird age, like 11, running around in little pants, right? Right, you're a man now, right? That means a bit of modesty. Wear your shorts, right? I say that to every boy I see <laughs> at the at the at the beach. Put some fucking trunks on, will you? Run, and then, especially when you're when you see boys running around, they have like the t-shirt and the pants and the sandals. It's like that's so much leg. That's so much leg. You know, little skinny boys. That is some pretty look. Here's my verdict. That's some pretty wild shit, right? I kind of look. I have to say though, I do kind of get it, right? If I came back from Disneyland and I got like a little fucking Grogu Baby Yoda ears from my young fella, I'd want to glue them to his fucking head. I want to be like, hey, you better wear them. No, we better show this shit off where we've been, right? The amazing time we've had. But that isn't fair. So you are in the right. She is totally in the wrong, your mother. And so if you're going to be this little, you know, model of opulence for your ma to impress her friends, then she's going to have to model for your friends. In fact, your ma now has to pose. Uh, for a page three photo shoot. I know they don't do them anymore, but I'm sure there's glamour photographers who'd be more than willing probably out of business now because of page three going under. So you'll have to find someone, I don't know, the mirror or the sun. These would be just a fucking pair of jabs on the, on the first page of a newspaper. Wild. Wild. Anyway, um, your ma's doing that now. Now, weird one here. I have two stories about Charizards, right? So um, I'll read. I will read the. Well, I'll just read both. Okay, here we go. Um, when I was seven, I was late to the Pokemon card buzz. All the lads on the road already had big stacks of them. And I walked out onto the road, all excited to open my first pack. First fucking card, mate. Charizard. I hadn't a clue who he was. My best mate, my best fucking mate, he writes, Stephen Byrne, and I hope you name him, he writes. I have named him Stephen Byrne. He didn't bat a fucking eyelid. Cool as a cucumber, he was. Fucking sociopath. He just flicked past it, and he said, yeah, he's all right, nothing special. Said he already had two of them. He said to me, he'd do me a favor and give me a Weedle for him to help me out get started. He took the Charizard and gave me a Weedle. He basically took my milk tray and gave me a reason in return. You think you know someone, it still haunts me. Stephen Murphy writes that. Stephen, listen. A, a, a reason for a milk tray, bro. Reason for fucking $300,000. That's what he cost you. For a weedle, for a fucking weedle. Okay? So listen up. Stephen Byrne, bro, you have bodies under your floorboards, right? You need to, St Stephen Murphy, you need to call the guards on your mate Steve Byrne, right, right now. For someone to do something so insane like that, he's got a dungeon full of corpses, bruv, underneath the floorboards. You need to act now. Some of them may still be alive. Now, if you can do that real quick, find out what they see. If the guards come back and say he's innocent, this is what you do instead, right? And just for a bit of context, let me explain, right? When I was growing up, Pokemon was the most important thing in my life for like about nine months, right? And as you know, I was the first owner of Pokemon on the Game Boy, the first Pokemon game in Ireland, right? I was the very first owner, me and my cousin Omar. I actually had I had to keep it secret where you could buy them, Mr. Calculator off Grafton Street, right? I was the only person in Ireland to know that. And then I told my cousin Omar, and then after he got his, I told everyone else to make sure that it wasn't going to be sold out for Omar. I got Pokemon Blue, he got Pokemon Red. And it was so important to me, right? We used to watch Pokemon in the morning before school. I remember I wouldn't even eat breakfast because I'd be so enthralled 
by watching Pokemon. Remember Ash Ketchum giving away all this fucking Pokemon. You're meant to catch them all, bro. Not give away fucking Pidgeot. Give away your fucking Snorlax. Give away everyone. Right? Anyway, sorry, let me explain. I would be so enthralled by Pokemon that I would often forget to eat when I was watching or breathe. So seeing the Pokemon for me was more important than food. Here's a little camera thing that you do with your mate Stephen Byrne, right? You now have to replace his food with caterpillars. <laughs> All right? So if he thinks if he thinks that a char- uh, he can swap a Charizard for a Weedle, well, guess what? He now has to eat the Animal Kingdom equivalent of a Weedle, a caterpillar, and nothing else until he gives you $300,000. <laughs> the judge has <laughs> judge spoken. All right? Now, coincidentally, I thought, oh, are these connected, these stories? Here's another story about a Charizard, and I'll, I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. When we were younger, me and my bro, we were mad to Pokemon cards. We collected them for ages. This is from Chris, Chris, Chris Basford. He says, uh, the holy great for us was the shiny Charizard. It was almost a competition to see who would get it first. So basically, their granddad brought them on a Saturday morning to Tesco, um, and um, finally his eldest brother got the shiny Charizard. They were so chuffed, they told everyone. It was a talk of the town, right? And then this other, this chap, their mate, let's call him M, they say, came over to hang out and see the Charizard, right? And they were 12 years old, right? Uh, they showed him the Charizard, and then after M left, the Charizard was missing, right? They said it, could, it couldn't have been anyone but this chap, and they lost their shit. So then when their parents got home, right, uh, they fucking told them that M had stolen the card. The man was like, no, you probably lost it. That wound them up. They cried and cried and cried and said, look, it was definitely him. Can you please talk to the man, right? Their ma goes talks to M's ma, and they said, look, you're not allowed to come. I'm going to talk to her in private, right? But then nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then three days later, M shows up, the gumption, he says, to turn up at their gap with the shiny Charizard in a plastic bag. And he said he found it on the main road in the bag, right? And their ma didn't even stick up for him here, right? Um... So look, that's that's kind of the main story, right? It goes on a bit there, Chris. I understand. It's very emotional. You wrote a lot about it. It's totally totally understandable. Um, look, here's the issue, right? Very difficult for a ma to go to another ma and say your your son's a thief, right? Uh, or your daughter. I don't know. You didn't really say M's gender, right? You can't really say that your kid is a thief. You can't also call out the kid on being a thief, and you can't enable. Uh, you know, a, a witch hunt of your own children. So it's a difficult enough situation for your kids to be in and, you know, to, to be in with your kids, right? But having said that, he definitely stole the card. And if he loves fucking Charizard so much, burn his fucking gaff to the ground. If he thinks Charizard's so great, how about a Charizard-themed gaff? Firebomb the fucking kip to the fucking ground, him and his ma, and laugh, and laugh. All right, so hopefully that's a bit of justice there. Anyway, moving on. Chris Piccolo writes, I was in a deli once after a night on the town. I ordered a sandwich. The deli was jam-packed with drunk fuckos. The deli owner was uh, was with a customer, ringing them up, and some jackass starts yelling for his sandwich order. The owner is ignoring him, but the fucker keeps shouting, jalapenos, jalapenos, over and over. So I said, oh, here we go, this is going to be great. Hey, he's talking to someone. Wait for your turn, dumbass. Oh, my God. Most patrons were on my side and they laughed slash agreed. However, his cronies, if you will, started accosting me, saying, What the fuck did you just call him? A dumbass? How fucking dare you? And it started to get a bit too heated that I was forced to bail. So I said, and I quote, You know what? Fuck this and fuck you. And I was quite honestly on the verge of tears. And I stormed out before my sandwich was even ready. 
Now, my friends who were there did grab it for me and bring it back to the apartment. But was I wronged and nearly robbed of my Sambo? I was simply trying to defend the hardworking deli man from an obnoxious fuck nut and promptly driven out of the establishment. <laughs> Chris, bro. Chris. Chris. You're a patron, right? I like you. Don't waste my fucking time with this shit. Don't waste my time with this shit. What are you talking about, bro? You've been wronged. You were in the queue. You called someone else in the queue a dumbass. His mates defended him. You started crying. <laughs> you cried, which is fine, right? And then you said, fuck this and fuck you. And then your mates paid for your sandwich. <laughs> like, oh, bro, bro, bro. You know what I mean? Don't waste my time with this shit, right? right for your punishment and to toughen you up, right? You need to eat a jar of jalapenos, right? Fuck this and fuck you. Lads, pay for my sandwich. Bring it back to the apartment. Look, it's fine. Look, it's fine. Don't cry. Guy was a dumbass. What a jackass. What a fucko, this guy. What a fuck night. <laughs> Chris, you know I love you. And you were right to defend your man's honor. But Jesus Christ, don't fucking, you know, you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. What are you doing? You know? It's like lads trying to board the last fucking boat on the Titanic. Do you know what I mean? You can't be messing with that. You know what I mean? People aren't acting in there, in there and they're starving. Each chapter's wanted jalapenos. Um, you know I love you, Chris. But um, I find in favor of the jalapeno boy. Next up. Cahal Omungay writes, In college, I bought myself a crown. Uh, you know what, Cahal? I find in favor of anyone else in this story. In college, I bought myself a crown. Bro, I'm not going to be able to side with you on this. No, I will read the rest. Okay. Um, <laughs> in college, I bought myself a crown as the self-proclaimed king of FIFA. I wore it every time I played against the lads. One of them put his balls on the crown and they filmed it. The lads all knew and I wore it every year without them telling me. They called me the king of cock and balls and I didn't know why until I saw a video at the end of the year. Well, firstly, I would have called you instead of uh, the king of cock and balls, I would have called you... Cockalo mong balls instead of cockalo mongy. Um, but that's just me. Um, I have to tell you this. Um, I have to tell you this, uh, cockle. Um, you are, this is my verdict. You are a very lucky man to have grown up in the era where putting your dicks on stuff was considered a laugh and not full-blown assault. Now, yes, there are definitely sometimes you shouldn't. Do that, then it is assault. But putting your cock and balls on a mate's crown, a person who bought their own crown, you are very lucky that you lived in those days. Relish those days, the king of cock and balls, cockle among balls. Also, you know what? It's just their fucking balls. You know what I mean? Like, what? Are you rigorously fucking, uh, you know, uh, washing your hands every time that you readjust your bollocks? Because if you're not, then you believe your bollocks aren't as fucking tainted by stank as other bollocks, and you think your bollocks don't stank, right? So what you need to do now is you're in the wrong. You need to relish the days that you can put bollocks on things without getting in trouble. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, on with anyone in a kind of sex way, but with mates, you know. And what you need to do is buy your mates little bollock crowns, two for each um, uh, mate. One crown per nut is what you need to buy. So I get fucking, there's a lot of little tiny crowns you need to buy. I get moving on that now. All right, next up. Anonymous writes, me and my mates were playing a bit of darts and we put on two to three songs in the Spotify queue. 
Uh, while we were playing one of them, my mate puts on Jesus of Suburbia by Green Day. And then two more songs. A lovely tune, but it's just under 10 minutes long. It's like three or four songs. Is this allowed? This is the only person that asked to be anonymous for, this, for, the most, for the most petty little time. I'm not having to go with you, anonymous. But that is, you know, it's, it's, it's small fish. Uh, and I think you should actually drag your fucking arse out of my courtroom and learn to talk to another fucking human being for a change. I fine you 70 euro and just try and have a chat with your mates in the future. Right? Don't waste my time. Moving on. Uh, here's Barry Healy writes. I was away in Thailand for a couple of years with a few mates. There were three of us there and we were on the last leg of our trip. We were getting a sleeper bus from Cambodia up to Bangkok on our flight home and there were two people allocated to one bed on the bus. So one of us was going to have to share with a randomer. To settle this, we played a game of closest to the line in the pool table. This is where you hit the white ball to one end of the table to try to get it as close to the other end. And I ended up getting mine pretty much to the line and my mate Simon lost by a long shot. I was chuffed as I would now get to share a tiny single bed on a sleeper bus with my mate Rory, which is a really strange thing to be chuffed about. When we arrived at the bus in Phnom Penh at about midnight and due to some ticket mix-up, Simon ended up with my ticket. He and Rory, ahead of me in the queue, showed their tickets to the driver and he gave them the nod down to their bed. I then showed the driver my ticket and I was shown to bed with a little Cambodian man sprawled out in it. I immediately went and found Simon, who was already nestled in with Rory, and he just told me, tough luck. <laughs> I still remain friends with him today, but I'll never forget the disrespect that you showed me that day. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, but you know what, Barry? If I can call you Barry, Barry Healy. Um, if, you're, if your mate Simon uh, thinks it's so fucking tough luck, you show him, right? If he thinks it's tough luck that you were to spend the night with a little lad from Cambodia, well, guess what? You'll have the last laugh by falling in love with the lad from Cambodia. <laughs> How about that? Move in with him. Start a family with the guy, right? If he thinks he screwed you, guess what? Joke's on him. It was the best thing ever happened to you, right? Simon, you're laughed at, right? So I find in favour of you, Barry Healy, and Simon, you're going to have to be the best man at the wedding with this little young fella from Phnom Penh. So there you are. Who has the last laugh now? You're in love. There you are. <laughs> all right next up is we're getting really petty here all right i got two more no i've oh, got a few more jesus christ the fucking loads more all right i'm gonna move these through these quite fast all right here we go um uh, i sent my mates to the shops when we were 10 to buy me a two euro worth of jellies and he said he was getting the same and a can of spire american cola cola the fucker bought me a 90 cent bag 90 cent bag that's still 90 jellies and he got himself a two euro bag and kept my change. I felt cheated out of a few fizzy keys and strawberry pastels. I felt like crying. Killian, this is from Killian Cochran. Go to therapy, you tight fucker, right? You sent a mate to get 200 fucking jellies for you. Ever heard of fucking delivery free? Don't waste my time. Get out of my court. All right, moving on. When I was around nine and wrestling was in the absolute prime, me and the lads are in the road were playing a bit of wrestling. I had bought a new intercontinental wrestling be belt, yes, mate, which I had just bought in Smith's and was ready to lay the smack down. As we were all playing, a new kid came out from around the corner and started to join in. He made it, uh, he made it to a title match with me and my brand new belt. It was a fair fight, but I came out victorious. He ran home crying. Me and the lads continued playing. About an hour later, his much larger older brother came around the corner, absolutely beat the brakes off me and took my belt. I would like to sue for damages, please, for the price of the brand new Intercontinental belt that he never gained back. What fucking freak family? Oh, Doyle rules. What a bunch of freaks. Do you know what? These are some of the most important moments of your life, bro. Um, actually, I don't have your name here. But anyway, these are the most important moments of your life. When you actually meet a family of freaks, you know? When you actually meet a proper freak that you know, oh my God, that's an energy I never want to come in orbit with ever again for the rest of my life. Fucking family of freaks. You know, it was like those lads... 
you know, like lads who don't realize, yeah, this is a new kid. You're throwing him a bit of a courtesy wrestle. And then he feels like he's entitled to take your fucking belt. It's the same energy you get off people in work. You know, proper freaks that are like on the same level as you, but then they start ordering you around like they're your superior because they do it to make themselves look important in front of your actual superiors. You know what? You need to find this lad, right? And if he likes wrestling so much, guess what? Gangrel, the wrestler, the vampire wrestler, is coming to OTT Wrestling in Dublin in October for Halloween, right? He's a vampire guy, right? Get him to suck this lad's fucking blood, right? This chap does cameos. Gangrel does cameos for like 30 quid. He would definitely sire a new vampire for 40 quid, right? So you give him 40 quid and he's going to turn this lad into a vampire. He's going to be undead for the rest of eternity, right? That's what you need to fucking do. What a little freak taking your belt like that. All right, you know what? Because I got Obi-Wan stuff to talk about, I'm only going to do two more here. Thank you very much to the people who sent these in, but I'm going to do two more. Uh, going here from Connor Barry, uh, personal trainer to the stars. He says, a fucking seagull knocked a cheeseburger out of my hand on Grafton Street, and then he stole it. Everybody that saw pointed and laughed. And I'd only taken one bite, and my saliva and digestive juices were ready to receive the rest of the burger. Not only that, but then I told my mate the story, who found it hilarious. But then when he relayed the story, he told everyone that the seagull actually knocked me out. Which was a lie. And I want justice for my actions, for the seagull, but also my mate spreading lies. Look, can if I could do the fucking clap hand emoji to fucking drill things into fucking people's heads. Eat seagulls! Why aren't we eating seagulls? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. They're big and juicy and delicious. For fuck's sake, why aren't we eating the birds that we see everywhere? There's my verdict. Eat all the birds! Alright? <laughs> and now last one here. Kian Gallagher writes, Okay, my twin brother who earns more than me, don't hold it against him, that's fine, uh, occasionally gets a Chinese. Now, when I say occasionally, it's usually twice a week. Fucking legend, mate, living the fucking life. Uh, now, when he gets one, he includes me in it because you need us to spend a certain amount for delivery. Anyway, this little operation's been going on for a month, but last night he did something that really turned my gears anti-sun ways. Nice callback to last week's solstice episode. Um, as I'm a hard-working man, I start work at 5 a.m., and so I have to get up at 4 a.m., and as I'm always tired, I make the lunch the night before, more like the evening. Now, this particular day, I went to the shop and bought a four-pack of rolls, okay? I buttered and prepared three rolls and stuck them in the fridge uh, for myself. He ate one of my rolls! Okay. His excuse was that he was tired after work, he's a 2 a.m. bartender, and he was hungry, and it's my fault because three rolls seemed excessive, and he treats me to Chinese. Okay, right, I'm still... He continues, Am I in the wrong, or have I been wronged? Or am I wrong, have I been wronged? As there was one roll there that needed to be buttered and prepared, and he was just too lazy, and he ate mine. Thank you, Judge. By the way, we love the pod, we're both patrons. Okay, I like you more now, Keen. You're both patrons. And he actually met me in a cafe, and it was probably I was probably weirded out. If you, look, I'm telling you this, if you tell me you're a patron... I will roll out the fucking on-brand orange shit show carpet for you. I love you, okay? There is no way I'd be weird with you. If you tell me you're a patron, I adore you, okay? Um, but Keen, what the fuck is your problem, bro? He buys you two Chinese a week for a month. He's bought you eight Chinese. And he ate one of your three pre-buttered rolls that you buttered. And you're annoyed that he didn't take the one that was not buttered. So you even had another roll that you could have buttered. Bro. Do you peel a fucking orange in your pocket, bro, you tight fucker? And, and, and this little operation that you have going on, you're acting like this is an operation, that you're in some fucking heist with him, that you're Brad Pitt and he's Danny Ocean. He buys you a Chinese. Don't mind the rolls. You need to butter him up, bro, right? 
You're lucky to have such an incredible brother. What a man. What a bloke. And he's a patron of mine. This man is a pure specimen. What a serious dude. Right? You need to fucking com- butter him up. That's your punishment. Compliment him. Get him a cup of tea if he wants. You are indebted to him for the generosity of including you in eight Chinese so far. And you fucking have the gall to flip a him for eating one of your four rolls. When you could have just bought another one. <laughs> but thank you very much, Keen, for being a beloved patron of mine. Please do not cancel your subscription. I adore you dearly. And if you would like to become a patron, you can do so over on patreon.com forward slash Tony Cantwell over there. But now, look, the judge has spoken. I want to thank everyone for submitting your wrongdoings to the plaintiffs, to the defendants. Thank you very much. Um, and look, you know, another judge could have landed in another favor. This is not gospel. This is just my verdict here at Judge Cantwell. I want to thank you very much for listening to that. Having said that now, I am going to now be speaking about what my thoughts are on the miniseries of Obi-Wan Kenobi because I got a couple of thoughts. So you can check out now. If you're my dad who doesn't like to listen to me talk about Star Wars, but if you're not my dad and want to hear me talk about Star Wars, you can continue listening and I will talk now. So look, like I, and similarly to my judge's proceedings, right? I, I don't, um, I, you know, I, I, nothing's gospel, okay? All anything is, look, all criticism, film or TV or anything right like that is just there's light that went into my eyes, Right? And then it triggered reactions based on events in my life, only my life, that I've experienced, that I assigned some level of value or delight or joy. Me, only me. And then I use sound waves out my mouth to tell you what I think. And there's all, <laughs> I'm just trying to recommunicate the wavelengths that have gone into my head, that have bounced off my head. Right. And only from my experience. No. So like I have I don't want anything to change based on what I've said. Right. I don't want anyone to die. <laughs> you know, right. And I don't want anyone uh, to like not, you know, get work in the future based on what I think of what they did. OK. Or anything like that. I want to have no impact other than to you now handful <laughs> still listening to this podcast. Um because I really enjoy talking about this stuff and I really enjoy complaining about this stuff. And I've and for whatever reason, when I didn't play sport, I assigned, uh, you know, my encyclopedic knowledge of the, the, the Star Wars fucking collectible magazines that I got and how I was able to store that information over footballers' names and Premier League cards. And I assigned some level of value to that. And I still, as uh, almost coming up to 35 years of age, assigned some value to my knowledge of knowing that stuff and my interest in that stuff, okay? So I like complaining about it, right? We were sitting there. There was elements of the show I didn't like, and I was complaining about it. And Terry was like, you're actually ruining this for me. And I'm like, Terry, this is like, you know, this is like when we go out to dinner and we, even if we have a bad meal, we like to complain about the meal, right? We complain if there's no seasoning on it. We complain if the burger was not a very impressive burger for the amount of the price. You're right. So we like that. I mean, we, 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 if it, we're living in it. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, we're trying to be present in whatever we're doing. I mean, that's not true at all. But, you know, <laughs> you know, but like if we're, I like complaining about it. And I like talking about what I like. It's all the same to me, right? Makes me feel like a big man, okay? So I want this to have no impact on anyone else's enjoyment or anyone else. But look, it wasn't, look, it wasn't for me, right? Obi-Wan, 
Kenobi. It was not for me. And I think fundamentally, fundamentally what it comes down to is it wasn't the show that I would have enjoyed seeing. Seeing the directions that Star Wars has gone in the last three or four years since the Disney Plus shows, since um, since the end of um, the the rise of Skywalker, where I kind of felt like there was a collective groan uh, with the last line said by Ray, which is you know Ray Skywalker. You're like, what? If there's not if there's no better euphemism for desperate and the fact that they brought you know the Emperor back and they're they were just desperately trying to you know in a very kind of crude way in a very kind of in not a very tactful way just kind of hammer some level of nostalgia back in the same way that's actually started this podcast when I complained about the trailer which is the first episode of this podcast really where I complained about the trailer of the rise of skywalker and the fact that you bring the emperor back it makes no sense but then you you hit me with that those beautiful london philharmonic orchestra you know um you know score with um, the Princess Leia tune playing and John Williams at the helm again. And I'm like, I'm putty in your hands. And I'm always putty in those kind of triggers, right? You hit me with something that has the strong creative language of Star Wars and a John Williams score, and I'll watch it, and I'll lap it up, and I'll enjoy it. And I will say that this show was not a slog, but ultimately, what I would have loved to see was the adventures that Ewan McGregor, the best Obi-Wan Kenobi, the best Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? He, Alec Guinness phenomenal actor adds so much gravitas didn't want to be in the flick you know speaks kind of like i don't really like being having that linked with that's the ultimate thing in his career um didn't really want to be in the flick you know hello there you know and he and he has he's got great gravitas he's a proper merlin character that you need him to be he's a weird old wizard he's an old sensei he seems to know more beyond his years he's you know reclusive you know, the idea he's probably just sitting in that hole, just absorbing the magic of the Force. You don't know anything about the Force. It's all crazy, you know. When he meets Darth Vader for the first time, he's, you know, these Vader's like, the circle is now complete, you know. When last we met, I was a learner. Now I am the master. And you're like, what's going on there? That's very captivating of my imagination, you know, without showing me anything, you know. Anyway, moving on. Hugh McGregor then plays, does the Alec Guinness voice, does an old man's voice, but as plucky as kind of, you know, he's wisecracking. He's all like, the negotiations were short. Hmm. I mean, that's as high as a joke you can get in Star Wars Episode One. But, you know, he's he's doing his best. The fact that, the like, his final scene with Anakin, you know, you are my brother, Anakin, you know. But even though I have my issues with all that shit, you know, you were the chosen one. You were meant to bring balance to the Force. How did they not know that balance with the Force was going to be? There's Jedis everywhere. There's good, there's is there it, it if it isn't in balance now it means the good guys have to die right to balance it out means there has to be only a handful of jedi and a handful of sith so the fact that they're sitting oh balance oh that sounds great being like you're going to die you're all going to die anyway that's always an issue i've had so i've never really liked that line but he delivers it with incredible gravitas with incredible i mean it is probably the pivotal scene in the, in the trilogy in the prequel trilogy you could probably skip everything and just watch that scene Seriously, that's all you probably need to have watched. You probably don't need to have watched any of it, you know? But if you want to know what happened, you can just watch that. Because the most interesting thing is, how does a human go to looking like Darth Vader, you know? But anyway, so what I really wanted to see, and what episode two I feel like should have been, uh, would have been fun adventures. There's a lot talking about, you know, where Anakin or Obi-Wan falls into a pit of Gundarks or whatever that is, you know? 
they seem like they got up to all sorts of adventures, like a buddy cop, the nice guys, lethal weapon in space with Jedis. Give it to me. That sounds good. That's not what, what the films were. You know, you got wrapped up in trade federation for taxation and, you know, blockades and all that. Anyway, look, we're not talking about the, the prequel trilogy here. So I was kind of thinking, you know, just because that's what I would have liked to see, maybe that's the kind of thing we're going to see Obi-Wan do now. You know, um, we kind of know what happens after episode three. The kids are left on, t- one kid's left on Tatooine. One, uh, you know, to be raised by his uncle as a moisture farmer. is our Luke Skywalker hero. And the other, his twin sister is gone off to become a princess in Alderaan. And it's kind of a beautiful, you know, that's never really talked about in the original trilogy. The idea that one might be raised a completely different life and the fact that their destinies bring them together. It's kind of quite interesting. It's quite beautiful, even though they're hot for each other for a little while. But let's not talk about that. So you're kind of like, you're kind of, you know, if there was ever a nine years or if there was ever a 19 years for there to be kind of nothing going on, it really is between those two movies. You just think, well, this is fine. You know, uh, two children had their childhood and the Jedis stayed in hiding. Maybe the most interesting thing might be how you go from a Senate to an empire. That's interesting enough, but it's not something that involves those two kids. So, you know, unless you're doing something, which, again, would would be an interesting show. That would be an interesting show. I'd be interested in seeing that. There's a lot of things that I would have preferred this show to be. And the main one would have been just, you know, Obi-Wan going around, maybe helping people. Like what the first season of The Mandalorian was, you know. He's going from town to town. He gets wrapped up in the business of this town. You know, he saves the day. He moves on. He walks the earth, you know. Maybe, maybe the Inquisitor, maybe include the Inquisitor storyline, maybe include the story of the path and this whole underground railroads, you know, thing of Jedis in hiding and what Obi-Wan's kind of doing to, he knows that fundamentally he has to stay in hiding because it's not even about him anymore. It's about Luke. And if you want to kind of pepper up that, you know, affection and that, and that, that connection to Luke Without showing me any more, Luke, feel free, you know? I just don't want any more fucking Skywalkers, right? I don't want any more fucking H&M, to quote RuPaul. But with Skywalkers, I don't want any of that shit anymore. There was a collective groan when Ray Skywalker, we've moved on. The Mandalorian saved it all by getting away from the Skywalkers and then dropping them in a little bit and it actually being okay because they fucking know what they're doing. They know what they're fucking doing, right? I've done it against Deborah Chow, right? Um, the show looked great. And her Mandalorian episodes looked great. But I just don't fucking want Obi-Wan going around with another fucking kid. <laughs> I'm a baby. I'm a baby, right? Because I'm because I'm moaning about this. But I, I don't want this to have any input, impact. Look, she was brilliant. The kid who played uh, Leia was brilliant. She was, she was like really young and super quippy and fun. And, but, but like it's an annoying character. It's an annoying character that has to constantly get themselves into a bind. And you have to just scream at the screen, no, don't go down there, you know? And that's not where I want my... Have, have we not learned? I thought this was a show to undo the sins of the prequels and to, you know, and, and to be like, okay, well, maybe maybe Hayden Christensen is a good actor and he was just badly written. Maybe Ewan McGregor should have his time to do something fun with the character of Obi-Wan. And maybe a plot point of having the characters that we love as babies is not what people want to see. There's Boba Fett, but he's a kid. 
And there's Anakin. Oh, that's Darth Vader, but he's a kid. You know? There's Chewbacca, but he knows Yoda somehow, right? And then here's Leia, but she's a kid. And she's got the fucking worst parents ever. Who are willing to fly. Who are willing, who have everything at their disposal. They have an infinite amount of cash. And they have everything. They have armies. And they send one fella off who has to stay in hiding. He's not supposed to go outside. He's not allowed to get wet. Right? And you're sending him. Who who is already watching the other kid. And is that now going to maybe... If he goes after the other kid and they get him and he has the knowledge of where the of where Luke is as well. Are you not trying to keep all of this separate and just keep it fucking tight? Anyway, look, listen, live. Um so look, I it's not the show that I wanted, right? And also I find that there is an issue in the same way that Rogue One does not hold the I mean it's a more exciting version of this, but it doesn't hold the same kind of dramatic intensity immersiveness because i know everyone's gonna die everyone has to die everyone has to die it's a movie based around one line that mon mothma delivers in star wars a new hope saying that many spies had to die for these plans so we know all that we know that we so we know that when you're picking up these toys we're gonna where you're gonna put them down at the end right so the fact that episode three ends almost like with all the toys in place for the beginning of episode four, just at a different time, just within a different time. We know that when you pick up these toys, Obi-Wan's going to get Leia home safe. Luke is still going to be on Tatooine. Obi-Wan's still going to be on Tatooine. So where they start is exactly where they're going to be put down. And there is so many moments in this show where they try and be like, you know, oh my God, Luke has passed out. And then he finally breathes. Oh, thank God, the pillar character that this entire franchise is built on doesn't die before the franchise starts. <laughs> thank God he gets Leia back to her planet and that she's alive and not killed before the six films that happen with her in all of them. Do you know what I mean? Thank God. Thank God Obi-Wan doesn't get murdered by Darth Vader before the first time he meets Darth Vader. Do you know what I mean? So, look, that I kind of need, right? Look, maybe Mando's not going to die in an episode of Mando, but maybe some of the other characters they bring in might. Maybe IG-88 might get blown up, you know? Boba Fett, maybe his right-hand woman might die. None of them die. They should kill off more of those characters, right? Maybe he might die because it's in the future, right? They brought in that fucking gunslinger dude. He died. You know, he was a cool character. They brought him in. He died. Shocking. Because I don't know what happens after. But when you know everything that happens after, you're just picking up your toys and you're putting them back exactly where you left them. And what you're actually kind of doing is when, unless, (laughs) okay, and I'm going to get really into the minutiae now in a second, right? But unless what you have is better, right? Say, Godfather 2. Godfather 2, right? We see this head of the family, Don Corleone. He actually doesn't even seem like a man who should be involved in crime because he, he everything is about family to him. Everything is about respect. He doesn't want to interfere with any kind of drug markets or anything like that. He wants to stay in the kind of racketeering, the gambling, right? Sale of olive oil. And what we see then in a flashback is him having to flee his home in Sicily, in Corleone, in Sicily. His, his father being killed. We see him 
forced, smuggled out of the country to save his life and then going to Ellis Island, unable to speak, hadn't, didn't even speak in general, hadn't, you know, was quiet, was always very quiet, didn't really, like, didn't speak until the age of 10, didn't speak any English, literally on his own, growing up in the slums in, in, you know, in Little Italy, in New York, being an olive oil salesman, being a good man, willing to take a pay cut so that his boss can stay in business, a man of respect before he had any involvement in crime, then unluckily getting involved in some crime, realizing that this was the only way to kind of get ahead in life, you know, stealing fucking rugs from a gaff, you know, taking someone out because he's a bit cold, he's a bit hardened because he's had a tough childhood, and then his ultimate vengeance story. You're showing me that, and you're like, oh my God, I like this character even more because I didn't know that was all going on, right? Unless you have that, you know, the decision, like, yeah, does this make it better? Does this shine light on something that we needed light on? Like Vito Corleone's entire, you know, life juxtaposed with fucking Michael's story and just the different worlds and from going to piss poor to a man of respect to the fucking collapse of Michael and all of his morality going out the door in this in this story of ego that he's masquerading as a, as a story to, to kind of go legitimate. It's interesting seeing those two side by side. We add, it adds a lot more depth to the story of Vito, and it also just adds a lot more depth to the story of Michael. It, it. I mean, of course, it's one of the greatest films of all time, so you, know, you can't be holding up a fucking Disney Plus show to one of the greatest shows of all time, but the point is that unless it's going to make it better, there was an opportunity to give us a life of Anakin Skywalker. There was an opportunity to give us a character we actually liked and in a kind of in the prequels and have a kind of Walter White story where you're like, oh, my God, this person is irredeemable. I mean, it happens so quick. All of a sudden he's there like, oh, I love everyone. Everything's going well for me. I'm a bit jealous of not being made a Jedi master. And now I'm going to kill a bunch of kids. It happens very quickly, you know. But anyway, I will. I don't even know if I'm worth going into the minutia of all this. Um, OK, look, I'll fucking I'll go. I'll go very quick. Right. Look, ultimately, it wasn't what I want. I wanted a kind of story of you McGregor walking the earth, helping people who we don't know, who we don't have uh, and know their entire life history so that we can be surprised and that things can surprise us. There were some surprises in this show. The number one surprise is the Inquisitor revealing herself to be, you know, a child who had survived the slaughter of the of the Jedi Temple under Anakin. It also added a lot more depth to the to how just pantomimely villainous that she was. I felt all the Inquisitors. I hated them all, to be perfectly honest. I just thought, like, come on, get someone here who's going to fucking, not like Christoph Waltz, but how many fucking TV actors do you have out there who would just love to do a kind of Christoph Waltz scene like that where they walk into a saloon and they're trying to fish out the Jedi rat, you know? There's so like Walt, give me like a Walton Goggins or something like that. Some some TV actor who was just lost, you know. Josh Dumal does great in that in like kind of Mando. Just give me a good TV actor who never got his day, who is a brilliant actor just to walk in there and just chew it up. And you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Do you know what I mean? Give me an Anthony Starr. Give me a Homelander walking in there trying to find where the Jedi is. That's the level of evil that I want from these Inquisitors. Not a guy who just looks like a Hellraiser with no fucking pins in his head, you know. Um, and I just thought, I mean, obviously spoilers, obviously spoilers. Sorry, I should have just said spoilers, spoilers, spoiler warning for the rest of all this. Um, but the kind of face turn that she does, you know, in episode five, which I thought was kind of a better episode. Um, it's mad. Like I sit down and watch six episodes of this, six hours, six hours. And I don't, I didn't like it, <laughs> but I do it and I do it again and I do it again. Um, the face turn that she does when she reveals that she's actually been a victim of, you know, Order 66, which I also fucking hate. I don't like the fact that I don't like Order 66. There's low. I'm, I like I like less than I, I 
dislike more than I like in Star Wars as a whole. Um, but Order 66, as if there what, was there 65 other orders? Is Order 67 fucking, you know, I don't know, everyone line up in a fucking square, you know? What if someone accidentally said 66? Kill all the Jedis. It's just in there. Kill all the Jedis. I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of... Th- anyway, look, look, anyway. She's a victim of, you know, the murder of her peers. She was a kid and he came in and she's been looking for vengeance her whole life. So it actually adds a lot to the character. You thought, oh, is she being too pantomime of a villain? No, she was putting on a front. That's what I like. She's like, oh, it, it, that, was a, that was a choice. You know, you know, the Grand Inquisitor does not have the choice to be so pantomime of a of a villain with very little depth or nuance to it you know um and he sh- they should have cast better actors so and so like uh, so that was the biggest twist and i wouldn't have minded a show about inquisitors i like inquisitors i like it in you know in um the you know i haven't watched rebels but i played um what's it called fucking jedi fallen order you know and that's fun inquisitors nice to have lightsaber battles with people who are like quote unquote not jedis you know um Anyway, so uh, I would have seen... I'll tell you some of the shows that I wouldn't have minded this this being, right? Because there's a, a few elements in this that I thought, oh, I would have loved to see more about that and not and not a story about how two characters who never met actually met and actually formed an incredible friendship that they then had to keep in secret to protect the two of them. And that's only been revealed now that they actually... Whatever. Anyway, look, uh, I'll tell you what the show... I, I would have actually liked to see it because there's some elements in this show that I would have liked. I, I would have liked to see... Yeah, maybe the Inquisitors and Obi-Wan. They're trying to fish out the rest of the Jedi. Obi-Wan's trying to protect them. So maybe you include, um, you know, the path in there. A show about the path. A show about, you know, a ragtag group of Jedis who are trying to survive. And you see them kind of be kind of taken out one by one. And you realize, oh shit, like, give me the fucking depth of what the Empire did. You know, give me a show about how the Empire is created out of the Senate. Give me, weave that into it. Weave a show where... You know, you have someone like Bail Organa who's holding on to the last bit of democracy in the galaxy and the clone troopers are being ousted. There was a great cameo from, you know, Boba Fett, what's his name, Um, Tamara Morrison as this kind of washed up clone trooper because they're not needed anymore because they're now recruiting into the Empire. You know, show me that. Show me how that transition happened, you know. Show me a show where, you know, Kumail Nanjiani plays a fake Jedi and he gets up to all sorts of hijinks. Maybe even weave all that together. A show where Obi-Wan is still trying to evade the Empire. The Inquisitors are after all the Jedi. There's a ragtag group of Jedi who are the last remaining Jedi. They're eventually all kind of taken out. Kumail's a fake Jedi who's in with this group, you know? Give me a Leia prequel show that's animated for kids, you know? To appeal to all the fucking badass, but, you know, book-smart kids who want to be like, are like, you know, Elections Tracy Fleck, you know? People who look up to people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg as an icon. And people who are just, you're not going to put this fucking girl in a box. She's got her cousins telling her that she's not even a real kid, but she's going to outshine them every single time. If you want, you know, a what if, or maybe not even a what if, if this is what happened in, but the idea that this is all has to be wrapped up in one, it's too many ideas and we don't, we don't linger long enough in any of them. And that's why you have scenes like your one Zara, whatever her name is in the, in the empire who is not really in the Empire. She's also in The Path. She was in, you know, Game of Thrones and um, This Way Up. And she's like, there's scenes, just insanely written scenes where Obi-Wan gets a message from Bail Organa who's saying, hey, just to let you know, I haven't heard from you. If I don't hear anything, I'm going to go to Tatooine, yeah? And then reveals the location of the other kid by sending a secret message across space. 
Hey, Obi-Wan, haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, I worry you might be dead or that your phone might be in the hands of the enemy. So just just to clarify exactly our plan here and all the secrets that the enemy actually don't know, all the best. Bye, 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 bye. Anyway, after that scene, your one walks in and she's like, is everything all right? And he goes, yeah, it's fine. And she goes, we have to round up families. Like, what? Oh, she's doing she's doing her thing. She's getting her moment. She's like, we have to round up the families, four of them. You know, men, women. Like, where did this come from? There's no... You know, poor fucking Ice Cube's kid is in it. He's like, what's he doing? Like, I wouldn't have minded a show with all these people. I wouldn't have minded a show with all these people. But it seems like their character development is, you have to go, Obi-Wan. Look, only you can, I, I have to leave the gate open. Go, Obi-Wan. That's the whole character development. Ice Cube's son is like, what, a girl? A girl is going to fix the gate and open it up? What? And, uh, like, poor Ice Cube's kid to just be in Star Wars and his whole thing's like, what? Where are you going? What's happening? Whoa, are you telling me what? Just like I would have, I wouldn't have, like, all interesting characters, right? Rava or whatever, Kumail Johnny, interesting character. A guy who li- who pretends to be a Jedi to, to weasel people out of money. Interesting. That whole, that whole city planet. What if Obi-Wan is just on that? What if he's hiding out there and he's accidentally getting involved in some of the gangs that, that are operating there? And he's trying to find who the remaining Jedi are to get them to, you know, to survive. And then Kumail Nanjiani's one of them, right? And that's one, one of the stories, you know? Darth Vader, they, probably, they just really needed to bring Darth Vader back for whatever reason. I don't know why. I mean, what I would have loved to see Darth Vader, the story I would like to see Darth Vader is Darth Vader going off being this kind of commander, this general, and actually, like, wiping out planets and being fairly ruthless and being a kind of um, an element of him being this kind of, you know, battle tactician. Which there's elements of. He goes down to these battles. He wipes out Jedi's. He gets, you know, um, uh, he gets systems and planets who are not in alignment with the Empire in alignment. He is a ruthless, stern, robotic fist of the Empire. And I wouldn't mind seeing that. Like, if we actually want to talk about what is the most interesting thing out of everything. There's no, there's 19 years between the, the those those two movies, right? Episode 3 and Episode 4. And I feel like that they think to themselves, what is the most interesting thing? What we're, what are we missing? Or is it something completely different? Does he just go on fucking holiday? Does he end up moving into a frat house full of Jawas, Obi-Wan? Because he can't get any accommodation. Is he moving from job to job? Is it now a comedy? Is he now romantically involved with someone? And does he have a life within that 19 years? And does that person die now that he's kind of cut himself off from the force? And then does he, has he been living as a hermit for the last 10 years before Luke is born? You know? What is the most interest? If you didn't, there was elements as well where, where Obi-Wan talks about his, he's like, I think I had a brother, you know, and he doesn't remember anything about the Jedi Order. Is he maybe coming to terms with the fact that, you know what, maybe fucking, even though it's horrible that he wiped out all the Jedi, maybe this whole kind of doctrine system of taking kids away from their families isn't the best way of doing things, you know? Maybe in those conversations with the other Jedi, they get to be maybe critical of the Jedi Order. Maybe it wasn't the best thing. Maybe there are some benefits to the fact and raise interesting questions like that. But that's, but then they're they're trying to be like, no, we have to make it like he has to have a plucky little mate. Like why? Who's it for? Who's is Leia brought in? Is Leia brought in 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 the same show where you cut open a, a Darth Vader's helmet and have his charred face? And you have Obi-Wan dragged across fucking fire. And then the same thing where you have Darth Vader grab, grab a civilian out of the street and crush their throat so that they get everyone else out, where people are just mowed down with fucking blaster fire. Is this really a four-quadrant 
uh, you know, piece of content that you need everyone to have been, been involved with. I just think, ultimately, if you had... I've said ultimately, which is not everything. I'm going to finish on this. I just feel like if you had... There's one, sorry, there's one bit of dialogue really fucking... This, this was the worst piece of dialogue I thought was in it, right? It's one scene where you have your one third sister in with Leia and she's trying to like ask, you know, where is Obi-Wan? Where is fucking Everton? You know, you know, she's inquisiting a kid, right? And then there's kind of a line where Leia says, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything. And then the kind of music, the tense music stops as if there's going to be like a punchline. And then she goes, but first I want to speak to my father. And then, then you know, third sister's like, oh, what? Oh, you know, don't double cross me. Like it's played like there's a joke coming or like here's the line you have to listen to. This is the element of, you know, um, Leia being that get this fucking walking carpet out of my way. Like those kind of lines where like this is not the princess you expected. This is not a princess. This is not a regal princess. This is a fucking badass. This is a young badass who does not fit within the box of this you know, Alderaan nobility, you know? Again, like, I wouldn't mind a whole show about Leia. I just, I just, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you're playing with toys and then, like, a younger kid comes along and you're playing with your wrestlers and then he picks up, like, a Wolverine and then, you, you know, you do a wrestling match with Wolverine and The Rock and you can be like, ah, that's fun. You know, that's fun. But, um, We'll play with this, but you're going to then put Wolverine back. Like, this is pretend. Like, this isn't real. You know, we're actually playing Monday Night Raw right here, right? So Al Snow's about to come out here. He's got a chair, you know. Um, we have a Titantron wrestlers here. You know, Wolverine doesn't even have a chip in his foot to play his music. He's not a real wrestler. So I'm all for you having a bit of imagination, a bit of fun. But it doesn't, you know, it's not the game we're playing here, you know. <laughs> um. So look, I'm flogging, flogging a dead, a dead bantha here, right? Um, and chat and shite and you know I don't I, this is not something I need to talk about for, for, for half an hour but that's just what I thought I did I thought it is it is not essential and I'm excited by the prospect of Taika Waititi making a movie that has no connection to the Skywalker legacy whatsoever I hope now they can put a pin in that and there is no more I worry though that what they figure out they can do with de-aging and CG that they're going to do a whole fucking um, which I don't I mean come on a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, if there is not some, if that doesn't give you the scope of your imagination, a what, what can? You're still going back to the same desert, the same Skywalker, to quote my young fella all the time when he's giving me guff, leave it, leave it, leave it, he would say. So look, hopefully um, for the now three of you now who are still listening, uh, thank you very much um, for listening to this pod. Um, if you like these, if you do like these kind of weird tangents and want to hear me geek out a little bit more, I tend to do that over on the Patreon that does not alienate. Um, that's a fucking hardcore fucking heads like you and me, right? So if you like that sort of crap, <laughs> like I do, you can go over there, patreon.com forward slash Tony Campbell. That's essentially what my full-time job is, is doing that Patreon, is getting paid from that Patreon. So if you like the idea of that and paying me and being an uh, employer of me, you can do so over there. And you'll get over 110 podcasts that you haven't listened to before. So even if you want to just, you know, check them out for a month, two months, however long it takes you to listen to them. If you find that they add an extra chuckle in your in your day, you can keep subscribing. If not, I don't worry about it. It's only the price of a pint uh, a month, probably even less now, going by bloody Dublin prices. Huh? Uh, so um, you can check that out. As well as that, Kamal Shin, I'm going to be at the Other Side Festival uh, in Slane on the the 10th, I believe. I'm performing on the Sunday. Um, Peter McGann is also playing Killian Sunderman. 
as well. Uh, Kevin McGarren's going to be there MCing, MC to the Stars, MC Escher. So that's uh, next Sunday um, on the 10th. Uh, so if you have any serotonin left in your body uh, and you're going there, you should check me out. Uh, as well as that, on the 21st, 22nd, 23rd and 24th, I'm going to be performing in um, in uh, Ivy Gardens in uh, the Paddy Power Comedy Festival. So there's four nights. If you just type in my name on Ticketmaster, you can get tickets for whatever day. There's also doing a gig with Sean Burke on one of those days. Patty Harrison from I Think You Should Leave. Killian Sunderman as well so whichever gig takes your liking from Thursday to Sunday I'm going to be there but listen thanks very much for listening I love you I think you're really brilliant uh, and all the best um, and bye bye yeah.